while you're doing that, I just want to ask, if you were here last Sunday, did you enjoy our outdoor service? <laughs> that was uh, that was a first for us, and what a beautiful day the Lord gave us, and it was just a joy to be able to hear the testimonies and see those who were being baptized. It was a wonderful day indeed, and uh, just a great, great experience for our church. Well, this morning we're going to go back to Proverbs chapter 6. And this is actually in the series going to be the last one that I'm going to do on Proverbs this summer. And then we're going to shift to something else as we begin the start of a new year. Uh, We have a series this fall um, using some material from John Ortberg that's called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. And we're going to do that as a fall series in our ABFs for a few weeks. And then I'm planning uh, during the year coming up to be preaching through the book of Colossians. So if you like to read ahead and study, that's a great book to begin to look at and pray about and think about uh, what God has to say to us there. But today we're going to be in Proverbs 6. I'd like to pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you for your holy word. You have a word for us, whether we are looking in the Old Testament or the New Testament. There is wisdom and counsel and direction for life. And as we've been uh, looking at some of these passages in the book of Proverbs, it's just amazing how relevant they are, how timely to our needs. Today we're going to be talking about money and our use of it and handling that well. And Father, you know that that's an issue in our culture, maybe in our lives right now. And so we pray that you would give us wisdom as we think about these things today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how would you feel if everything you had worked for was taken away in a moment? Your job, your savings, your investments, maybe even your home. It would be devastating, wouldn't it? And yet that's the situation that there are many people in our world right now who are feeling or suffering through. Very difficult times. We are all hoping that our economy is turning around and there are some signs of that, that maybe we're bottoming out and it's starting to turn the corner again. But we still have an unemployment rate that is over 9%. We've had many people, even in our church, who have had their hours cut back from, say, 40 hours a week to 32 hours a week, and that's a significant loss in pay. We have many are trying to find work and can't because there aren't a lot of good jobs out there. I was reading online that 6% of homeowners are three months late or more on their mortgage payment. And right on that edge where they could be experiencing foreclosure as well. And others have already lost their home in that situation. When you look at your retirement funds, uh, pension funds, investments are down at least 25 to 30 percent, sometimes more for people. And it, it's tough out there, as all of you well know. And sometimes our losses come from poor choices that we have made. And those are the ones where we kind of kick ourselves and we go, what was I thinking or why did I do that? But there are other times when our losses come from circumstances that are outside of our control. And that's hard to take. And we wonder, is there anything I could have done differently? Are there some things that I could have changed and maybe prepare for an economic downturn or tough economic times? Well, yes, there are. There are things that we can learn from the Scripture as God speaks about situations such as ours. 
And if we are going to prepare ourselves and our children for life in the world, we need to talk about money and how to handle it. And the Scripture has a lot to say in this area. Proverbs 6 is just one example. And again, it is said in this conversation of a father speaking to his son, but you can think about this again as parents speaking to your children or couples talking together about this. And I like the way that he addresses this topic of money uh, in this particular passage. He actually uses three word pictures or describes three types of individuals to teach us a lesson about money matters and how we should handle things in our life. And basically, you can imagine him as a father coming alongside his son and saying, Son, when it comes to money, there are three kinds of people that you need to watch out for. And they are the speculator, the sluggard, and the scoundrel. And that's the title of this message. Number one, the speculator, we see in verses 1 to 5. And this particular section is a warning against foolish indebtedness. He begins by saying, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, and if you have struck hands in pledge for another, if you've been trapped by what you said and ensnared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go and humble yourself, press your plea with your neighbor, allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. A warning against foolish indebtedness. You know, when we read this passage, what we have described here is a situation where a person has put up collateral for his neighbor. He has guaranteed a loan for a neighbor. And we're not sure why he would do that. I was reading through the commentators, and we're not 100% certain of the practice that was going on here. But presumably, it's because there will be some sort of return of interest on his investment. It's a situation where the neighbor approached him, and maybe this person decided to do it because it seemed like a really good deal. He just couldn't pass it up. Or maybe he just wanted to be a good guy and help his neighbor out. But in any case, he has gotten himself into a situation where this could turn out quite badly for the person who has put up the collateral. And a gullible young man or woman may be easily taken in by a situation like this, with the result that you could lose everything that you owned or had worked for. The Scripture would say that if you are concerned about your neighbor, it would be better to just give something to them and help them out and not expect anything in return than to go in on a risky investment in which you might lose everything that you have too. Don't invest what you can't afford to lose. The scripture in this situation says if you find yourself in circumstances like this, then you should do everything you can to free yourself immediately. And it uses the examples of a gazelle, a deer that's now been caught in a snare by a hunter or a bird that's in the snare of a fowler. And how when you think about those creatures, if they're caught in a trap, they will try everything they can to get out of that trap. I mean, they will exert all the energy and strength that they have to try and escape from that snare. And he's saying, if you're in this kind of situation of foolish 
indebtedness. And you've gotten yourself into a jam with credit and you are stuck. Do everything that you can to get out of it immediately. Even if it means going and humbling yourself and trying to work things out or change, be insistent and get out of that situation now before you lose everything. That's a strong word. And it's a good word for the times in which we live. You see, there are a lot of different ways that you can lose your money. And there are a lot of people who would like to put their hand in your wallet and take that from you if they could. There are so many things that come along that make it sound like they are a great deal, and they are not. I think of the situation of Bernard Madoff, who has been in the news this last year. You know the story. Bernard Madoff built the largest Ponzi scheme in U.S. history. It's almost inconceivable how a guy could steal $65 billion, billion dollars from investors over a period of time. You know, and he uh, promised people a 10% return on their investment year after year. That's a pretty good deal when the market's kind of rough, you know, that somebody can do this. And basically the way a Ponzi scheme works is that, you know, if you invest a million dollars and I say I'm going to give you a 10% return every year, I take 100000 of your money and I give that back to you each year for 10 years and I make it look good. And then other people think, wow, this is fantastic. And so they begin to follow and invest. And what happened with those who had invested with Madoff is that um, they began to tell their friends and others. And pretty soon it became a status symbol to say, hey, are you with Madoff? You know, yeah, man, I'm getting these great returns. And more and more people followed, and it was all a sham. It was all a sham. He claimed to have a secret method, a caller method that he used in his buying and selling, but when other brokers, even here in the Twin Cities, tried to reproduce it, they could never come up with those returns. There was something fishy about it. The word was given to the SEC, and as we read recently, the SEC did not quite investigate those things fully enough. There were red flags. People should have kind of seen some of those warnings and things that were coming. But what's so sad about it was here was a dishonest individual who caused people to lose their entire savings, pension plans, investments. It was evil. And he did it not only to strangers, but he even did it to people who considered him a friend. And he took their money and he squandered it away on other things. There's a word for us to think about here that it really is true that the buyer needs to beware. If something seems to be seems too good to be true, it probably is. But that's just one example. You know, most of us were not involved or had the means to invest with someone like that. Where most of us need help is with good financial principles and how-tos on things like budgeting, savings, credit, use of credit, and investments. We need some good, common kind of sense in those areas and understanding of how to use uh, those different means that are available to us in order to provide for our family. We need help with questions like how much debt can you afford on a mortgage? Just because the bank may approve you for a certain amount doesn't necessarily mean that's what you should go for. 
Is that amount based on two incomes? Is it a larger percentage of your income than you really want to designate toward housing? Does it leave you with any margin? It's not fun at all to be house poor where you stretch so far that you have no margin left in your life. And there are some common sense principles that all of us can benefit from. It's why in our church in these last uh, several years we have offered courses like the Financial Peace University or Crown Ministry, which is a Christian stewardship kind of training material. We've used the treasure principle in our ABFs. Randy Elkhorn wrote that regarding giving and stewardship. And all of those are designed to help us in a very practical way in learning how to manage our money. It's something that we all need. And I would encourage you, you know, if you have questions about that area or you just want to sharpen uh, your skills or your use of the resources God has given to you, to sign up for one of those classes or to let us know about your interest in those kind of things. We need practical advice in how to handle our money. Well, we also need to look out for what Proverbs describes as the person who is a sluggard. A sluggard, and we see that in verses 6 to 11. It is a warning against laziness. Listen to what the scripture says. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? And when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. One of the lessons that we need to teach our children is the value of honest work, providing for our own needs and for those of our family, coming to the point where we are able to give and to be a blessing to others. And the scripture is consistent in this message. For example, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, 6 through 10, in that passage, there is a statement made that if a man will not work, he shall not eat. The Scripture encourages us to be diligent, use the gifts that we have to provide for ourselves and for our family. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's how strongly the Scripture puts this. That God has given us the ability to work and He has given us work as a means of provision for us and our families and that's a good thing. And in Ephesians 4.28, the Scripture says that he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Is it possible to steal by being lazy? Yes, it is. If you expect others to provide for you, to take care of you, and you are just kind of, you know, laying back and not using the gifts and the abilities that you have, you are actually stealing from others. The loafer wants to be carried along by others, rather than caring for others. 
And the Scripture exhorts us to come to that point where we are not only earning a sufficient living for ourselves, but where we are both giving back to the Lord and we have the opportunity to be a blessing in the lives of others. And what a joy that is. He tells us here to learn from the ant. The ant has no ruler, yet it works to provide for itself. It gathers and it stores food for the future. It is self-governed and self-directed. And that's really how God wants us to get to that point where we're not working because somebody tells us we have to, but we come to work because we actually enjoy using our gifts, being productive, contributing to others, and providing for our family and our needs. Laziness, the Scripture tells us here, is costly. A little sleep, a little slumber squandering opportunities, wasting the resources that we have or the gifts or time that we have. And poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Now the scripture is not saying that all poverty is the result of laziness. We have to be careful not to turn this around. Because there are times and there are those who struggle with poverty because of oppression and injustice in our world and difficult circumstances into which they may have been born or are kept by the oppression of evil governments or rulers. But if laziness is the reason for our poverty, that can be corrected and changed. And so I think about this as a parent. I mean, as parents, we need to teach our children to work. To both work at home through the chores or responsibilities that we may give them to do and outside of the home when they get that first job and they're learning about uh, earning some money and then how do you take care of that and how do you budget and save and all those kind of things. They need to learn the joy that comes from being able to provide for themselves in this way and doing a job well. But we need to teach our children then to save too and to feel good about that to practice discipline and self-control and to enjoy that good feeling you know when there's some money in the bank or money that you've set aside that is there for a future need or opportunity that that's a very good feeling. And we need to help our children to plan for the future. Things like school or training, college, Votech, whatever it is that they're going to do in the future or maybe buying a car or later a house. How do you do that? How do you begin to set aside things in a disciplined way for the future? And we need to teach our children to give. You know, I think about that in the church. As one generation grows older and retires and new generations come up, where will those generous givers come from? You know, as parents, we need to teach our children how to give. And what it means to tithe and to give back to the Lord's work and to support the work of missions as well as local churches and ministries. And how are they going to learn that if we as parents and individuals are not teaching them? And then finally, we can't teach what we aren't doing ourselves. And really we need to model that in our life so that they can see what we are doing as well. I mean, I've been working on that with our son Ben. I mean, recently I just uh, showed him what I do when it comes to our budget each month and how I kind of allocate for the expenses and lay it all out. And this is our income. These are our expenses. And, and you just I show them. How do you do that so that you understand 
that it takes some discipline and planning to be able to prepare for both your monthly expenses as well as future expenses that come up during the course of the year. We can't teach what we aren't doing ourselves. And if we're struggling with any of these things, I mean, if you're struggling with your budget or you're struggling with giving and actually tithing to the Lord or doing that faithfully, then maybe again one of those classes on financial stewardship and planning would be the very best thing that you could do at this stage of your life. And thirdly, the Scripture says we need to look out for the scoundrel. The scoundrel, and we see him in verses 12 to 19. The Scripture says a scoundrel and a villain is the one who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks with his eye, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up dissension. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant, and he will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. You know, when I was first reading through this this week, and I was coming to this passage about the guy who winks with his eye and signals with his feet and motions with his fingers, uh, we do a lot of kidding on our staff, and I was thinking of Jim Fan over here as sort of the uh, mischief maker in our staff at times. But what the writer of Scripture is talking about here is something far more serious than that. It's not the person who likes to have a good time and keep others kind of loose and laughing. This is the scoundrel and the villain who actually is devious in what he is saying and wants to take your means or your money or cause dissension and divisions in groups. And God hates it. He hates that. And he says that In the end, disaster will overtake him in an instant. And he will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. There is a judgment. There is a day of accountability that's coming. But in the meantime, we need to be on our guard and avoid the troublemaker and the thief who plots evil and who causes division. You know, some people in our world, it seems to me, at times work so hard to steal our money that you wonder why they don't get a real job. You ever feel like that, you know? That there's some people out there just working so hard to take somebody else's money that why don't they just put that effort into honest work? And it is especially hateful to us when we see people who prey upon the poor and the vulnerable in our society. There are all kinds of scams out there today, aren't there? I mean, there are scams on Craigslist, for example. Craigslist can be a very good place to buy and sell things, or it can be a place that can really get you into trouble fast. A couple, one of our sons was looking for a car on Craigslist. And he was checking through those who were offered there, and he found this car that looked like a good car and a really good deal. And this guy was selling it cheap, you know, just $3,000 for this vehicle. And all you had to do was send this money to this kind of third-party situation. Now, wait a minute. What's that about? And when he checked it out on the Better Business Bureau, it was a fraud. It was a scam. And I actually went on Craigslist and I looked at their warnings and guidelines too, which you should read if you ever use Craigslist. And it says, don't do that. If somebody tells you to send money to a third party situation, don't do that. How do you know those kind of things though unless you have heard or been tipped off 
or unless you really kind of follow your gut when something seems like a red flag and you check it out. Last week I went to the open house at the high school finding out some information about scholarships and colleges coming up soon. And the person who was there giving some advice on that says, never send in money for a scholarship. If somebody says that they will promise you really good scholarships and they say send us some money as kind of this lead-in, you know, and we'll do this search, don't ever pay for it. It's the same thing that you're warned about with prizes. I mean, there are scams with prizes where people say, you know, uh, you have won this great prize. Just send in this amount of money. Don't do it. There are bogus websites. There are people that try to do phishing online to get your private data or information. There are people who want to steal your credit cards and use them. Have you been the victim of an identity theft? I mean, think of it. There's a whole new area of crime that we had never heard of until these recent years. But have you ever had your credit card number used by somebody else? It's an awful feeling. I heard that the latest thing that they're doing is when they steal your credit card information, they'll do a small charge first, like a a dollar or, or a small amount like that, just to see if it's working. And then they'll, if that clears, then they do a large amount. And every day it seems like there are new ways that people are inventing of evil or theft in the area of money and finances. We need to beware and protect ourselves as best we can. You know, even in our society, the whole idea of the lottery has just grown and exploded where there are more and more kinds of lotteries, which is just a form of gambling. And the lottery tends to appeal to the person who is poor or who has less means. Now, I know it can be across the board, but there are even advertisements at times for the lottery in neighborhoods that will say things like, you know, this is your ticket out of here. You know, you strike it big in the lottery and maybe you won't have to live in a neighborhood like this anymore. And some people begin to view it almost as their retirement plan. If I just simply won the lottery, then I'd be set for life. Well, there is an interesting story just this week again about a woman in Britain, a young woman, who won $3 million in a lottery in Britain six years ago. And now, six years later... It's all gone. She spent it on drugs and alcohol, partying, $750,000 in designer clothes. I mean, how do you do that? Cars, a cosmetic surgery, all kinds of things like that. And she said she wished she had never won it. It ruined her life. And what was interesting was the person who was writing this article, you know, is not a Christian talking about this. This is a secular person who's just saying, how many times have we seen this or heard this story? Somebody wins big, squanders it away, and it ruins their life or they regret it. And yet we still keep doing this. You know, I've, I've read that the average inheritance is gone in two years. When someone receives an inheritance from their parents... It's gone in two years. And we are in the midst of the largest transfer of wealth in the history of the world. I mean, trillions of dollars literally are being passed on from one generation to the next generation now. And how will that be used? 
And have you thought about, you know, your will and what you want to put in there? And have you thought about in that will designating some of that giving to the Lord's work in some fashion to really control how those resources are going to be spent and used in the future? God sees the scam artist. He sees the swindler. He sees the troublemaker. And God hates sin. And the writer of Scripture summarizes this in verses 16 to 19 when he says that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. When you see that phrase, six, then seven, it's a way of emphasizing the last point in particular, but it's also a way of saying that this is not an exhaustive list. These are just some of the things, but look at what he says he hates. He hates haughty eyes. He hates a lying tongue. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. He hates a heart that devises wicked schemes. He hates feet that are quick to rush into evil. He hates a false witness who pours out lies. And he hates a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Conversely, if you turn that around, what the Scripture is saying is that God loves humility. He loves truthful speech. He loves those who work to preserve life. He loves pure thoughts. He loves those that are eager to do what is good. He loves honest witnesses. And He loves peace and harmony. Are those the things that we love and strive for too? That's what the Scripture is calling us to. You see, when I look at the book of Proverbs, I come back to this question in all areas of life where we can ask, you know, is this wisdom or is this folly? Is this a good thing to do according to what God has said or is this a foolish or risky thing to do? And when we begin to look at life that way, we understand what the book of Proverbs is about. Wisdom and folly applies to all areas of life. It applies to our relationship with God and to our relationship with people. It applies to marriage and money. It applies to parenting and work. It applies to our speech and our conduct. And so sprinkled through the book of Proverbs all the way through are these statements of truth about all of those different areas of life. As I said, we're going to be stopping our series in Proverbs here for this summer. But I encourage you to continue reading and to look through the rest of this book in that way. And think about those areas of life where you need to work at applying God's Word. This is why we need to know God's Word. Why we need to study and hear what the Scripture has to say. And again, if you have concerns about money matters in your life right now, Boy, there are a lot of great resources out there. There are good Christian books in this area. There are studies that can be done. You could search the Scripture and you could uh, use a concordance to look up different passages that relate to money and finances and do a study on your own. Or you could join one of our small groups that deals with this topic. But let's pray. Father, I know that as we raise a subject like this, that there are individuals... Uh, in our church who maybe are especially struggling right now. And there are things that all of us can look back on and wish we had not done or had done differently. And I thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. I thank you for new beginnings and new starts. And maybe if we're in a tough situation right now, there are things that we can do to 
begin to turn that around and to choose to live differently. And Father, I pray that all of us would be at that point where we would put you first in our giving and realize that everything that we have is a gift from you and what you ask of us is to give back to your work and your ministries. And you bless that when we do. You bless obedience and faithfulness. And so, Lord, help us in this area of stewardship and money to come to that point. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.